Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to grow a business. HubSpot Podcast Network hosts act as on-demand mentors to entrepreneurs, startups, and scale-ups through practical tips and inspirational stories. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Glenn Lundy. Glenn is the host of the wildly popular Facebook live show, hashtag rise and grind and top clubhouse group breakfast of champions. He's been seen at places like the hustle and grind con grow your business for God's sake and many more stages internationally. He has been spotlighted on ABC, NBC and CBS and is an expert in sales and business culture development and leadership training. He has 20 years experience in the automotive industry. He led a dealership from 120 cars a month to an 800% increase in sales in five years, becoming the second largest car franchise in the country. His unique style makes him one of the most coveted GMs in the business, but he does much more than that. He has a unique ability to identify areas of growth in businesses, not just in automotive, teach creative ways to invoke a spirit, a culture, a sense of pride and belonging in an organization. He has a background in sales finance. He uses his skill sets to create growth as well as taps into the mental and psychological side of human development. What did we speak about? So we spoke about his humble beginnings. He has a very, very impressive story. Uh, It was not always easy for him. We speak about him reaching the epitome of success, losing it all and building himself back up. We speak about morning routines. We speak about accountability. We speak about cultures of leadership and development. We speak about uh, the importance of gratitude in your life. We speak about living the best version of yourself. We speak about some entrepreneurship lessons. Uh, We also speak about when he was homeless and he attempted suicide at his very lowest points to now where he speaks globally on sales, marketing, business, leadership, culture, as well as some mental and psychological hacks you can use to unlock potential in yourself in any career, any industry. I'm really happy we had the chance to sit together and just dive into his story because there's so many lessons that we pulled out of that. So I'll let him go into detail, let him go into depth. This is Glenn Lundy. Thank you for teaching me what not to do and who not to be. Uh, 20-year-old me knew everything. and 20-year-old me made every mistake you could possibly think of. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today my guest is Glenn Lundy. He is a husband to one, a father to eight. He is the host of the wildly popular Facebook live show, Rise and Grind, and a top clubhouse group uh, host, Breakfast with Champions. He has over 20 years of automotive experience where he led a dealership from 120 cars a month to an 800% increase in sales in five years, becoming the second largest car used car franchise in the country. His unique style made him one of the most coveted GMs in the business. This was his backstory that he built out before he eventually started Rise and Grind and Breakfast with Champions. Glenn has a unique ability to identify areas of growth in sales organizations and in people, and that's what he teaches entrepreneurs, side hustlers, executives. He's been spotlighted on ABC, NBC, CBS. He speaks with, of course, car dealerships, but also just businesses on sales, culture development, leadership training. Glenn, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited to go into your origin story, unpack 
your car dealership, your pre before the car dealership, and then the stuff you're working on now. So walk me back, man. Where did you, where'd you come from? Oh my goodness. That's a loaded question, Scott. I'm just very, uh, I'm very thankful to be here, by the way. And I appreciate you sharing this space and time uh, with me. It really means the world to me. And uh, yeah, so as far as going back, I mean, how far back you want to go? I'm an old cat, Scott. I'm let's go, let's go. Okay, so what are we talking about? So, so born or raised? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, I do come from military upbringing. My dad was in the, uh, in the army. Uh, met my mom uh, in 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 that sense in the army. And what's interesting about their relationship is my dad is black, my mom is white, and this was back in you know the early seventies, late sixties, just after Martin Luther King was assassinated, and so it was very taboo for them to be in this relationship. And what was crazy about it, Scott, is um, they met in the military. My dad was in the army; he played basketball for the army for thirteen years, and my mom, her dad, my grandfather, was the commander. So my dad was actually a soldier, and his commander was my grandpa. And uh, I just a picture back in the day, I, I imagine him walking up to my grandpa back in the late 60s, early 70s, saying, hey, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And my grandpa probably having a, a, a stroke. Um, behind the scenes, but uh, it was an interesting situation, and and that's uh, that's what we were born, you know, into my sister and I, and uh, my parents stayed together. It was a uh, very. Um, my mom was kind of our savior in our safe place, and my dad was very military, and he was very strict, and he was very. Um, uh, I don't want to say violent because it wasn't necessarily the right word, but he definitely it's had tough. a heavy hand and a heavy belt, if that makes yeah. sense. And um, and he was really rough on my mom as well. And so we grew up in a home where I had to ask to have a drink of water. I had to ask to use the restroom. I had to ask to take a shower. Um, if dad had his honey roasted peanuts, which were so good, planters, honey roasted peanuts, like it would take, it took all the courage in the world to ask dad for some of his honey roasted peanuts. And then once you, once you asked and he said, yes, if you asked again, he would have told you, you know, hey, you should have gotten all that you wanted on the first grab. Why are you asking again? Like he just was an a-hole on so many things for no reason whatsoever, man. And uh, so... Luckily, my mom decided that she had had enough when we were 11 years old. And so my parents got divorced. And this is where it got really interesting, Scott. So my dad, who's black, he got remarried and he married a black woman. And my mom, being white, and then she remarried and married a white dude. And my mom and her husband moved into Greenlaw Garden Apartments at 2600 East 7th Avenue, apartment number 28 in Flagstaff, Arizona. My dad and his new wife moved into Greenlaw Garden Apartments, 2600 East 7th Avenue, apartment number 30. And she had four kids of her own. So all of a sudden, here's my mom in the all-white household, and here's my dad in the all-black household, two doors down from one another. And Scott, every stereotype Why? you could think Why of. Why did they do that? <laughs> Because it was low income, it was, like, it was low income housing. It was one of the only low income apartment complexes in the area. And the lady that was the landlord of the place was a friend, a mutual friend of, of both of them. 
And so she was able to get them moved up the list, get them into these apartments. They were two doors down from one another. And uh, dude, Scott, it was crazy. Every stereotype you could think of existed in these houses. Dad's house was straight up like collard greens, Motown music, fried chicken, uh, a TV in every room, sports on everything, on every channel, hip hop music, rap music, gospel music, like every stereotype you could think of existed over in dad's house. And then mom's house was country music, rock and roll, her sitting on the couch, like reading a book, all quiet. And they used to hang out at the bowling alley and play like poker. Like it was just crazy, man. And, and so I grew up in between these two uh, cultures, right? Very different cultures. And, you know, my mom was really serious about, hey, your dad has you every other weekend. And so dad's house was this three bedroom apartment with eight kids in it, ultimately, because his new wife had four, me and my sister, plus they had two more together. Our house was just me and my sister. So we had our own rooms in mom's house we slept on the floor over at dad's house, but they made us go. Mom would be like, pack your stuff. It's Friday at five o'clock. We'd have to carry a suitcase two doors over and go stay at dad's and sleep on the floor. Right. But so she was like, Hey, if your dad lived across town, that's what you would do. So you're going to do the same thing here. And uh, it was really interesting, Scott, because I had a lot of trouble identity wise in those years because I didn't really know, like my skin was too dark to be considered white. My skin was too light to be considered black. And so I didn't really fit anywhere. Plus I was growing up with these kind of two cultures. And so uh, I started getting into a lot of trouble. I became a chameleon of sorts. Mm -hmm. And basically whoever I was around, I would become that, right? So if I was hanging out with the cowboys, I was a cowboy. If I was hanging out with the bikers, I was a biker. If I was with the black folks, I was black. If I was with white folks, I was white. If I was with Hispanics, I was Hispanic. Like it didn't, it didn't matter whoever I was hanging out with. And that ultimately led me, like having no idea of my own identity, um, led me to just get into a lot of trouble, man. I was always a good student, super smart, like I could get good grades. And so school was easy. But outside of that, I really had a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of problems, um, just getting in trouble in a, in a, in a whole lot of ways. So that kind of that, that that's kind of how I how I how, how I grew up up until my uh, you know until off into college and into my twenties. So what so what did you carry with that? What was what what were some of the things from that upbringing that you brought into your career? And you can pick a point. Maybe you can try and think. We can think through together. Like when when you were when you were coming out of college. And you just killed it in sales. Why did you even go into sales? What what was the career process? When did you mature? Um, how was how does your life evolve to the point where you didn't have these like personal issues or these personality issues or these? And you're you're stronger in your convictions. I'm assuming that's something that sort of matured over your life. Yeah, it definitely came um, much much later. So in college, I still had those issues, and as part of my identity issues, I also had a I was very Darwinistic in nature, right? I was a, I was a science person. I loved the theory of evolution. And I was all about like, it was me against you in every situation. Uh, 
if I could get over on you, that's great. We're just mind and body. There is no spiritual element to us. There's no long-term consequences. And that was really how I lived my life. And so going into college, uh, met a girl, uh, introduced myself, her and I hooked up. Next thing I knew, she was pregnant. I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> this happened really fast. And so I dropped out of uh, college and uh, pursued a career at a place called Sterner and Klein, which they, it was a call center and we were calling people that were canceling their America online accounts and calling them and giving them six months of free AOL to get back. And so I realized in that stage that I had a mouthpiece and I had a gift of influence. I had the ability to sell. I quickly moved up the ranks in that particular endeavor. And then I saw an ad in the newspaper that said, make $5,000 a month guaranteed. And it turned out to be a car dealership. And so I went there and again, gifted uh, mouthpiece was great. And because I had this ability to be a chameleon, I really could connect with my customers in a very unique way, right? I, I became someone that they knew and trusted and could have those conversations. And so my career went really rapidly in the auto industry, but my Darwinistic mindset, my lack of self-identity, uh, and, 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 you know, those things combined to where my life outside of work was a disaster. So I was working, you know, eight in the morning till nine at night. And then when I'd get off, I'd go out drinking and chasing mm -hmm. girls and doing whatever, partying and drugging and all of those things. Uh, my girlfriend and I, my daughter's mom and I, we had split up. Um, and ultimately when my daughter was six years old, I lost custody of my, my, my six-year-old little girl. And, uh, when that happened, Scott, that's when things really started to change for me. Not in a good way, though. Like I, at that point in time, I blamed everyone else for everything negative in my life. Uh, I was the victim. It was everyone else's fault. And so I ended up quitting my job, packing up everything, and I left uh, the state of Arizona. And I traveled around, I played poker for a living for a while in Las Vegas. Uh, I lived in Southern California for a little while, parts of Los Angeles and Long Beach, and worked my way down to Orange County, California, uh, and ultimately down to San Diego, burning bridges all the way along the way, bro. Like every bridge I could burn got burned. And uh, ultimately, I, I looked around one day, I woke up, man, and I was in San Diego, California on the beaches surrounded by these beautiful, beautiful homes. And I was homeless, man. I had run out of money. I had mm -hmm. bad credit. I had burned every bridge. I didn't have any friends that I could count on. My parents were no longer comfortable with me coming home because I was in and out of jail all the time. Like, it, it was, was just, rough. I, was, I I didn't know this was not in the bio on the website, man. This was uh... <laughs> well, you know, I like to really focus on how I can add value to people now. Yeah, um, yeah. That person that I that I was is not who I am. Um, I've learned so much from it, and so I'm yeah. now thankful and grateful I, I survived that. But. Um, but yeah, man, just that was like just rock bottom. This foot loose, fancy free lifestyle, you know. Yeah, so that was that was beaches, San Diego. That's rock. And and just help me frame it because you had obviously wild success in car sales. Was that before rock bottom, or did you? I say rock bottom just as a as a point yeah, yeah, of sure. reference. But was that before that 
point in San Diego or did you go back into sales after San Diego yeah, Beach? So, so in the auto industry, I moved up quick, right? Like I went from sales to a sales manager to a finance yeah. manager to a GSM. So I moved up quick in, in the auto world. Uh, but again, my life kind of outside was falling apart. And so yeah. I left and blamed the auto industry for a lot of my problems. And so I just decided the industry sucks. I don't want anything to do with it. Yes, I'm good at it, but I'm out, right? I'm 100% out. And that's when I went to pursue all these other endeavors um, that led me to homelessness. And, uh, and, and Scott, I'll share with you, there was, so when I was homeless, like the worst part about homelessness, people think the worst part is you have no money, you have nowhere to live, um, you know, things like that. But really the worst part about homelessness is over time you start to become invisible. And so my days were the same, right? There was a bus that ran 24 hours. I'd sleep on the bus, wake up 6 a.m., get off the bus at the depot, walk around, look for change, get enough change for a sandwich. At, uh, I used to go to McDonald's, get a sausage McMuffin with egg every day. And so I'd eat that. And then I'd spend the rest of the day looking for change so that I could get back on the bus, right? And as you're homeless longer, you start to blend um, and people don't want to make eye contact with you. They don't know if you're going to mug them or you're going to ask them for money or guilt them or shame them or whatever. And so they start to look above you and around you and no one says your name and you just start to become you know, invisible. You start to blend with the background. And so that invisibleness led me to like homelessness became hopelessness, right? And the hopelessness became a deep depression. And the deep depression became suicidal thoughts. And the suicidal thoughts ultimately became a suicide attempt where I attempted to take my own life in the Pacific Ocean, uh, just off the cliffs of La Jolla, California. And in that, uh, I, my, my plan was just swim out as far as I could and I wouldn't be able to come back, right? I wouldn't be able to make it back in. I'm not a good swimmer, just like the stereotypes, right? I'm not a very good swimmer at all. And uh, so I thought that that would be a good way to do that. And so I attempted and uh, thankfully, the tide was coming in as I was trying to swim out. And I was such a terrible swimmer that ultimately I never made it out past the tide. And um, I got washed back up on the beach. And as I was laying on the beach, uh, looking up at the stars and realizing the, the tremendous hugeness of the universe, all of my sudden, my problems became really small. And I realized something's got, I realized that in every situation, in every city that I had been in with different friends around me in different environments, the result was always the same. And that was a big deal for me because I was like, wait a minute, if everything around me keeps changing, but the result stays the same, maybe I'm not a victim to everything that's going on in my life, but maybe I'm actually the catalyst of all of the things that are going on in my life. And so once I had that realization, like you take yourself wherever you go type moment, that's when it started to shift for me. And I started to go, okay, wait a minute. If I'm the catalyst of all things negative, does that mean that I can be the catalyst for positive things in my life? Is that what that means? And so from there, I am a student. I have no problem studying. Like I said, school was always easy for me. And so I started studying 
like in order to figure out who you are, you have to figure out where you come from, right? So I started studying my ancestry. I started studying uh, my Scientology. I spent six months in Scientology, getting to know the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. Um, I started studying all of these things. And ultimately, I, I, I ended up on this path where, wait a minute, maybe we're not 2D mind and body, but maybe we're 3D mind, body, and spirit. And so that led me to start studying Buddhism, Catholicism, uh, all these different religions. And ultimately, through Christianity, through studying Jesus, uh, I found my path to spiritual enlightenment and an understanding that there's three dimensions to this thing called life, not two. And that was the biggest shift for me, Scott. That, that, that's when I started to take responsibility for my own actions. And so fast forward, I ended up moving to Kentucky. I met my wife. I shook her hand. I introduced myself and she got pregnant. And I was like, wait a minute, here we are again. I mean, this, this has happened months before, a decade ago. And I'm not about to go down the same path that I went on um, before. And so I decided I was going to go back into automotive because I was good at that. But this time I was going to make a positive impact on the industry versus allowing the industry to make a negative impact on me and my family. And so that was the motivation. So I got back into the industry uh, 13 years ago now, back when I was 30 years old, after taking a couple of years off, I went back in in that small store in Paris, Kentucky, and was able to uh, do some tremendous things and continue to this day to be able to make an impact on the industry nationwide. Amazing, amazing story, Glenn. Thank you for breaking that down. And you, yeah, you man. made it sound like you, uh, you didn't have that much of a story to tell at the beginning. You just, I thought we were going to gloss over everything, but that's that's incredible. That's a very powerful story. How did you? And then, okay, so now that you've you know refound yourself, um, you're more of a whole person now, and you're succeeding. Um, what's what's the current iteration of Glenn? How did that morph from? I guess the 800% increase in sales at a Kentucky car dealership to speaking, evangelizing, rise and grind, podcast, personal brand. How did that transformation happen? Yeah, so it's interesting when you hit certain moments of your life, the, the gratitude that comes from additional moments, right? So now that I'm on this side, uh, I feel very grateful to to have the opportunity to make a difference and to make an impact. And at the same time, I feel an obligation and a responsibility to do so. And so when I first went into the dealership there, it was important to me that we took that dealership to the top, which I did. And we took that dealership to the top by uh, the owner, Josh Cummins, and myself, and just an incredible team of people pouring into humans making better humans, not better salespeople, better humans all around. People that were rising earlier, taking care of obligations at home, being better husbands and wives, being better brothers and sisters, being um, members of better outstanding members of the community, taking care of their health, right? We taught people life skills, not just job skills, managing your money, right? All of these things. And so it was incredibly important to me that we develop the humans because the industry itself usually does the opposite. It usually tears humans apart. It tears relationships apart, um, so on and so forth. And so now I'm just on this path where I feel 
it's like a pay it forward type thing. So I feel that it is my role and responsibility to help people change the way they start their day and ultimately level up in the seven main areas of their life, right? Faith, fitness, finances, their friends, their families, their careers, and ultimately how they feel about themselves, right? Their, their, their mindset. And so the vessel that I do that in continues to change. The mission stays the same. For a while, it was in the dealership. Then we, then it outgrew that. And then it was on the internet with a morning show called Rise and Grind. And then it kind of outgrew that. And it became stages and events and uh, things like Clubhouse, where we do breakfast with champions and traveling all over the world, right? Like it continues to expand. And so the vessel changes. Now I'm an entrepreneur. Now I own my own business, those types of things. The vessel changes, but the mission stays the same. I hope that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, let's let's speak about and unpack the the first iteration of the strategy that you use to upskill and uplevel those people in the dealership. Because obviously it's evolved, and I want to understand how it's evolved. But I also want to just speak about like the very the very basics, like the grassroots of that idea, because I think it's important and it obviously was successful. So let's talk about what sales traditionally is in car dealerships. And let's talk about what you made it. Yeah, definitely. So the auto industry at large uh, is an industry where you did not have to be integral. You did not have to even be excellent. You did not even have to be good to be able to make turn a profit. So back in the day, everything was very regional. If you had a dealership located in an area that people drove by, you were going to sell some cars and you were going to make some money. And for the longest time, it was the hiring process was filled with many underhanded CD people um, just because the way the industry was built. It was built where like, we need you there from 7 a.m. till 8 o'clock at night, seven days a week, right? So what kind of person do you have to be? to be able to be at work seven o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night, seven days a week. Well, you're probably not much of a family man or a woman. Uh, you probably have some type of outside influence to keep your energy levels up, uh, right? And, um, and, and you probably drink your sorrows away because there's, there's these empty voids uh, uh, that come along with that. And so it attracted a certain type of, of human. And regretfully, we still deal with the ramifications of that um, today, and even though the industry is evolving rapidly and, and, and tremendously. And so going in, it was important to me that we, like literally I wrote a, a mission statement and my team, we read it together every single day. And the statement said, I am on a mission to eradicate the negative stigmas associated with the car business. I can do this by making people feel special, feel important, and feel like they're the only one. I will offer an experience that will exceed my customers' expectations today, tomorrow, and in the future. I will not just sell cars. I will create fans. And so we created a culture and an environment around that. Uh, I wouldn't hire anyone with more than two years' experience. I wanted people that were brand new into the business or zero experience so that ultimately we could cultivate them and shape them the way that we wanted to, not based on previous 
um, bad habits. And we brought people into this inclusive environment. Scott, it was very important to me that we put people first, our, our people first, our customers second, and our profits third. So all decisions were made in that order, right? If it makes sense for our people, if we're going to elevate our people, then the answer was yes. Customers, you know, they always say customers always right. We didn't believe that. Our employees were always right first, right? Unless we found out they were wrong. But we always trusted our employees and stood behind them um, before any other customer because they were the most important. And I followed this lead process that I'll share with you and that I'll share with everybody listening. This is a really powerful acronym that I put together and, and really made a big difference for us. So the word lead is spelled L-E-A-D-D, -D, right? L-E-A-D-D. -D. Now, some of you are listening going, this guy can't spell. <laughs> right? But I'm going to break down why it's L-E-A-D-D. -D. I'm going to break that down for you right now. All right? Okay. So the L in lead stands for listen. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. I know your mama told you this. You should listen twice as much as you speak, right? So we very much had this mindset as leaders in the organization that we were always going to listen twice as much as we spoke. We always made sure that our employees felt seen, heard, and significant. That comes through listening. And by listening, we were able to tap into not just why they were there, but who they were, what mattered in their lives, what problems do they have outside of work, so on and so forth, right? So listening was the first key to great leadership in the dealership and evolving our people. The E in lead stands for encourage. As we were listening to our people, we weren't listening to defend. We weren't listening to object. We weren't listening to overrule. We were listening trying to find opportunities to encourage the behaviors we wanted to see more of and the greatness that exists inside each of these individuals, right? So we would always, for example, in a meeting, every single meeting that we had started off by listening, letting our people speak first, and then we would encourage. We would celebrate if somebody got a great review. We would celebrate if somebody took care of a customer in the way that we wanted to. We would celebrate anytime they sold a car or, or did you know, any of those things, picked up trash in the parking lot. We would celebrate. So every meeting started with listening and then encouraging. Now, most managers that I know, they start every meeting with the A in lead, which is advise. So most managers just want to go in and tell people what to do, smack them on the butt, and send them on their way, right? Here's what you need to do. Here's what you did wrong. Here's where you suck. Here's where you can get it right now. Get out of here, right? That's the typical yeah. meeting, especially in the auto industry. So we start by listening. Then we encourage. Now, when you do that, you've now earned the right to advise. See, I'll take advice from someone who listens to me and encourages me. I will totally 100% do that. I won't necessarily take advice just at face value from anybody. Like, see me first, make me feel important, and then I'll listen to you. So we listen, we encourage, we advise, and then we develop. The D in lead stands for develop. Please, 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 everyone listening here, please do not advise people and then not take the time to develop them. Telling someone what to do and then taking the time to actually show them how to do it two completely different processes. You can have all the knowledge and wisdom in the world. You can share it, right? And then you're not going to move anybody's life forward unless you take the time to really develop them, right? Give them, teach them to fish, as they say, right? Mm -hmm. Develop that. And then the last D and D in lead stands for daily. 
You need to do these things every single day, not just on Saturday in the meeting, not just when the cameras are on, every single day. So we listen, encourage, advise, and develop, and we do it daily. And Scott, I'll tell you, this works with your spouse. This works with your children. This works with employees. This works with prospects that you're looking to close a deal. This works in every situation humanly possible. If you listen, encourage, advise, and develop, if you make that your mantra, and that's what you do, you will go incredibly far. You'll have incredible success, and you'll help develop everyone that comes behind you. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the CRM platform that is easy to implement and is even easier to get your team to adopt. And ask anybody that's implemented new technology in a company, the biggest issue is not finding it or buying it. It's getting your team and your company to actually use it and adopt it. And when it's a piece like a CRM, one of the most critical pieces of your business infrastructure and your tech stack, if people don't adopt it and use it, that means you're getting incomplete data, you're getting missing data, you're getting garbage data, it could impact quite literally everybody in your company, as well as it could negatively impact your customers and your revenue. So how does HubSpot solve for this with their CRM platform? There's two components that they focus on that allow for organizational wide adoption. This is the contact timeline, as well as the mobile app. So the contact timeline gives a historical context for all of the data that is associated with a certain contact in the CRM. That means that anybody across the organization can see see all the actions and all the interactions that have taken place against that particular contact. You can also use that timeline to make calls to these contacts, enroll them in sequences, put them into marketing or sales campaigns, schedule a meeting, open tickets. The historical timeline makes it easy to take action as well as to track the action that's been taken against all of your contacts. And it's not a pain to enter the information, which means that it doesn't take somebody a long time to put in great data, which can again, positively impact your whole company. The second piece is the access from anywhere, meaning if I have a phone and I'm on the road, the world's opening up a little bit more now, people are traveling again, I can use the HubSpot app to access my CRM anywhere, on the go, on the fly, doesn't matter. So I have complete access to the CRM, I have access to my spreadsheets, my calendars, my notebooks, all of my contacts. I can send messages across my team with the HubSpot keyboard. I can access my contacts, call them through the HubSpot app. I can take quick notes, I can take contact information, I can all log it into my HubSpot app so that I can pull it up later on my desktop when I'm back at home. It's simple, it's intuitive, intuitive. It's meant to make it easy, frictionless, so that your team sees the value in properly using the CRM to the fullest of its capabilities and gives them the tools and the tech to allow them to do it without spending too much time and causing them more headache. The best thing about HubSpot is that it can be set up for any size of business and it will scale with you. If you're just starting out, you can take advantage of certain features and then as you scale your business, you'll notice that HubSpot will support all almost anything you need as you grow. So if you do want to learn how to scale your business without scaling complexity, go to HubSpot.com. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Quantum Metric. So what Quantum Metric is going to do is it's going to allow you to develop a single source of customer satisfaction.
customer-centric truth that can help you understand how to position your products, how to sell to your customers. Because anyone who's a digital leader who wants to understand your customers better, it should be 100% of you. You should want to understand the customer experience when they hit your website. And then you also want to understand not just your customers, but who else in the world is having similar experiences and how can you use that information to make informed decisions about how your business moves forward. We are gearing up for an unprecedented 2021 e-commerce season. E-commerce sales are expected to exceed 2020 benchmarks, even though COVID is lightening up. Consumer behavior has changed forever. And with Quantum Metric, you can prepare yourself to capture every single customer revenue opportunity. So their unique approach to the digital experience that the customer has while engaging with your brand helps top retailers, e-commerce outlets quickly identify and prioritize large and small revenue opportunities, and they keep customers coming back. So everything from page hits, mouse movements, scrolling, typing, out-of-the-box interactions that you couldn't even think of, various events, API calls, literally everything, they quantify that data and they present it to you so that you can use that data to make informed decisions about how customers interact with your brand online. So if you want to reduce customer friction, if you want to increase conversions, drive more revenue, optimize user experience, personalize the shopping experience for all of your customers, go visit quantummetric.com slash pod offer. That's quantummetric.com slash pod offer and go see if you qualify for the 12 days of insights offer using the code success. The 12 days of insight offer gives you 12 days of access to the quantum metric platform with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling and engaging with your online experience and your digital product. Some restrictions apply, but for the majority of people, go to quantummetric.com slash pod offer enter the code success and you will be able to receive their 12 days of insights offer get ready to understand your customers with intimate detail that can optimize experience and revenue and give your customers an overall much more pleasant experience when they hit your site all right let's get back to the show and this is just uh, i had no idea this was the strategy that you implemented to grow the dealership and i and i'm very happy that we dove into this because you just highlighted the fact that this, the 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 I'm gonna say in air quotes a sales strategy or that allowed you to grow the dealership was not a sales strategy at all. It was it was a it was a very empathetic, self aware, uh, you know, employee centric, a leadership strategy. And you just took this, and I don't know where I don't know how you came up with this. <laughs> we can even go into that because that's incredibly impressive. But you just took this, you transplanted it into an industry that is honestly known for just horrible salespeople and, and horrible sure. sales practices. And you just like, you know, you see, you see the, the stuff that you just mentioned, you'll see maybe this in very forward thinking Silicon Valley venture back startups, you know, with the kombucha and the dog in the office and the ping pong table and whatnot, but you don't sure. see it in, in traditional industries as much. Right. And, right. and it's just incredible. Like how you can take that, apply it to any business and you see the results. So my question my question to you is, where did the, where did this come from? Because because you didn't have this when you were killing it in the car dealership, and you were making money and you were going out drinking at night. You didn't have this mindset for sure. I know you didn't. But then Correct. also to to speak to uh, uh, Cummings when you when you started working at this place in Kentucky and you convinced him that this was going to be the strategy that you're going to implement. He probably looked at you like you had three heads and said, 
no, we just got to go poach uh, the top seller from, from you know, from uh, Toyota, from Porsche. I don't know what type of car dealership it was, but we got to go get the top seller and bring bring them over here. So, sure. how you how you think of the strategy, and how did you how did you convince uh, convince this dealership to take it on? So a couple of things, the universe aligned beautifully. So Josh Cummins and his brother, Dusty, had just bought the dealership 11 days before I started working there. They had just bought it from their dad. And Josh is incredibly forward thinking, incredibly empathetic. He is the picture perfect servant leader. Now, that term servant leader gets thrown around a lot. So I want to make sure to define it for all of those that are listening. A servant leader is not someone who says, Oh, I'll do anything if people, you know, somebody asks me, I'm, I'm willing to do anything. That's not a servant leader. A servant leader is someone who seeks opportunities to serve. And so Josh would always seek opportunities to serve, including me. I mean, the guy, other than wash my feet, he basically washed my feet, right? He yeah. was just an incredibly servant leader. And so I learned a lot from him about what servant leadership looked like. And he was a forward thinking human um, and so together, we really had some great synergies. I was more charismatic. I was more face of the dealership. I was more rally the troops, motivate, inspire, that type of thing. And he was more like analytics and back-end type thing, um, but ultimately a servant leader through and through. And so together, it made a pretty incredible force. And at one point, I sat down and I wrote down all of the things that I hated about being an employee in a car dealership from the old dealership I worked at. And then we also wrote down a list of all things that the consumer hated about buying a car from the typical dealership. And once we had that list, Scott, it really was as easy as doing a 180 degree opposite of everything that on that was on that list. Right? <laughs> Just do exactly that's what opposite. led to this incredible leadership moment. Just take a car dealership and do the opposite, and you have the epitome of good leadership. Oh, that's funny. Exactly. That is exactly where it came from. So once we had that list, you know, Josh and I worked together to cultivate a team of, of incredible humans and, and really pour into them. And uh, Josh was just very, he saw something in me that most people didn't. And so he trusted me to make good decisions when it came to the, to the store. Now, when it came to like numbers and certain strategies that way, they'd look at me like, you know, I had three eyes sometimes. Um, but after our first year where we had, uh, we increased from selling 120 to like 240, which they had never done in 50 plus years. And then the second year we started selling 300 a month. And the third year we were up in the fours and the fives. And uh, I remember in 2016, we sold, um, in 2016, we sold 7,500 cars. No, sorry. We sold 6,000 cars in 2016, 6,000 cars that year. And up till that point, every time I'd set a goal or a target, they'd look at me like I was crazy. But once we hit the 6,000 target, they immediately were like, so Glenn, what's next? <laughs> right? Now they were believers. They what, is the average, what is the average dealership close? Just to put it so in. Your average dealership will sell um, roughly between 1,200 and 1,500 cars a year. So you almost 5X'd an average dealership. Yeah, and then we took it further than that too. We, uh, my my best month was March of 2018. We sold 1,043 cars in wow. 27 business days in a tiny little town, population 9,600 people. Wow! So, <laughs> so you're doing something right, and I don't think everybody had seven cars or eight cars. So you're figuring some, <laughs> something something was working. Right. 
Yeah, man. Okay, very we, good. We created a culture. Every single salesperson on the floor sold at least one car a day every day that they were at work, which the national average is they say um, that your salesperson should sell 10 cars a month, which is one car every three days. And I thought that was just nonsense, Scott. I'm like, you're going to take people away from their families. You're going to make them work 70 hours a week. You're going to not train them properly. You're going to do all of these things and you're going to make them work two out of every three days for free. Like in my culture, that's called slavery, bro. When you make people work for free from the from sunrise to sunset. And so we changed that right away. We took on the responsibility as the leaders to make sure to create an environment where every salesperson could sell at least one car every day while they were at work. Uh, we took that very, very seriously. And we were able to shift the, shift the culture. So we're not only are we able to put up numbers um, that put us in the top 5% of all dealerships in the nation, but we were able to do it with a smaller staff than 99% of the dealerships in the country. Amazing. Uh, very, very impressive. Okay. So this is, this, is the, this is the fundamentals that I'm assuming are some of the things that you speak and teach now. Um, they were sort of formed at this dealership. So let's let's keep going down down the 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 Glen the Glen Lifeline. Um, what's what's the next piece of the story? Why is there so many themes around uh, morning? I see that yeah. rise and grind. I see morning. Um, I see a whole bunch of morning. So let's let's talk about that, and maybe you know we can talk about some of the stuff you're working on now. Yeah, totally, man. So. Again, uh, I am a student and I've studied success across the board on all the levels. I've studied the most successful humans on the planet. And in my studies, what I found was a common theme, a pattern, right? All, all tremendously successful humans have some sort of morning routine that taps into mind, body, and spirit every single day. Uh, if you, if you, I mean, you can look them up, look up any successful human, look up their morning routine, and you'll find that they had a consistent, steady, repeatable morning routine that tapped into those three things, right? Mind, body, and spirit. And so once I discovered that, I was implementing in my own life, trying to figure out a good, solid morning routine that would work for me. And so I would try, you know, Tony Robbins says, take a cold shower. I'm taking cold showers. I'm like, this sucks, bro. I am yeah. not interested <laughs> in the cold shower thing. Like, that's not for me, right? But I'm trying out all these different things and trying to figure out what works. And ultimately, I found a simple five-step system that worked incredibly for me, that is backed by science, and, and it, it transformed um, you know, my life and, and the life for my family. And so once I figured that out, I started teaching it at the dealership to all of my, um, you know, employees. And I started to notice transformations in their life too, right? Success leaves clues. And so bottom line is if you change the way you start your day, it'll make a massive impact in your life. And so Rise and Grind is that, me helping people change the way they start their day with some motivation, education, inspiration, breakfast with champions is that. Um, all of those things fall in line because I have found that for me personally, the way that I can make the longest, most impact, the longest lasting impact in someone else's life is to help change the way they start their day. But here's what's interesting, Scott. When I go into businesses, we start at the exact same place. As soon as I go into a dealership for consulting or to do some work with any, any other business outside of uh, automotive, one of the first questions I ask the owners is, what does the day start like? What does it look like in your office at the beginning of the day? And typically what I get is 
so-and-so trickles in a little bit late. Some people come in a little bit early. Uh, they go to the water cooler. They go grab their energy drinks. They talk about breakfast. There's all these things that happen in the morning that, that cause most businesses to, get, uh, to come off on a slow start. They get out of the gate slow. And then as productivity increases, as you hit 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and so on and so forth. But what I found is if we can create the perfect morning routine in your business, we can now speed up your productivity levels, pick up a couple extra hours of productivity each day. Your employees are happier. Your culture is better. And our bottom lines tend to rise. Our nets rise just by simply focusing there. So that's one of the things I go right out the gate. It always shocks some of these CEOs when I go in and, and they want to talk about some strategies. And I'm like, okay, how does the day start? They're like, what? I'm like, that's where we're going to start is we're going to change the way you start your day. And you'll see massive results in your business. It's crazy. So so walk, so which one do you want to go into? Because I want to get one, one, one or the other. We could do personal day start or we could do business day start. Which one is the which one is the one you like to go into the most? And and obviously people can go, you know, yeah. <laughs> where do you talk about? Do you, do you have a book out or something like this, or is this just like I in do. the podcast, like just woven in between all the other stuff that you put yeah. out? I do. I have a, a free ebook that anyone can go download. It's and I, I don't know this. I'm, I'm genuinely asking because I have no clue. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah, no problem. The, okay, the morning cool. five, the morning five dot com. The okay. morning, the morning, and then it's the number five. So the morning five dot com. You can download a free ebook, read it in less than an hour, and it breaks down the five simple steps uh, to an extraordinary life of, of my personal morning routine. Are they similar? The 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 personal morning routine and the business morning routine. Yeah, let me break it down for you real yeah, let's quick. Do it. Let's I've do it. actually already given you the business one. I gave okay. it to you earlier. So the business one, we follow the lead process. Okay. So we have a morning meeting every single day. And I don't care if you're a small business and you have three employees or you're a massive business that has a thousand. We have a morning meeting every single day. And in the morning meeting, we follow the lead process. We listen. And here's how we do that. The leader should be the first one in the room, not the last. I can't tell you how many organizations will tell everyone, we have a meeting, you got to be there at 8.30. And then they walk in at 8.29 and a half. No, 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 no. <laughs> Clearly, that's not a priority to you. You should be the first one in the room. We set the tone with some great upbeat music. I suggest using instrumental music, nothing with words, because words can influence people's frequencies and behaviors. Oof. Heavy metal, heavy rap, anything like that. Dude, I'm a fan of all music. There is a time and a place for that. 8.30 in the morning is not the time that you should be rocking, you know, some hardcore ACDC if you want your people to go out and take care of your customers going forward. I'm just saying they're influenced by those things. So we play some good upbeat music, preferably instrumental or some type of motivational video to set the tone. And you as the leader should be walking the room. As people are arriving, you're high-fiving, you're walking in the room, and really all you're doing is listening. I want to find out if Scott's grandma's sick and he's worried about that. I want to find out if John and his girlfriend got into an argument last night. I want to find out if Susie and Amy were out at the bar till three o'clock in the morning drinking last night. Now they're hungover and we need to handle that, right? I want to find out those things. I also want to find out what they care about. What are they talking about in the news? Are they watching the news first thing in the morning? Because they shouldn't be. I want to find out all those things. So I work the room with my ears so that I can learn more about my people, right? So that's the listen process. Then we encourage, first thing in the meeting, in front of all your peers, we celebrate. Yay, Scott, great job, man. You're doing an awesome job. We're so proud of you, Scott, right? We celebrate, we encourage. 
Then we immediately go into advise. Hey, Scott, I noticed um, you were supposed to pull the handles on the lot yesterday. I checked a couple of handles. They weren't pulled, bro. Is everything okay? Is there maybe something you misunderstood about that process? No, nah, man, I just freaking spaced it. Okay, well, Scott, you know, keep in mind, this is our house. I need you to keep the place together. We love you. We love what you're doing for the company. You're totally an asset. You need to just stay on top of your on top of your jam, right? Like we can do that in front of, as long as we've listened and encouraged first, then we go into advice and we use that space to advise people on the areas of opportunity and develop, or of opportunity and development. And then we go into development. So that meeting, that morning meeting, every single day, your, your employees should walk out of there knowing something they didn't know when they walked in. Too often we hold these meetings, they're not planned, they're not thought up. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, guys, go out there and do a good job. No, teach me something and I will keep coming back for more and then do it daily. Make it useful. So if you follow that Make lead it process, it will change the way you start your day in your business. Amazing. And then, and then for the personal, you mentioned even this one thing that you said people shouldn't be watching the news. What are the fast five, the things that people should do in the morning to make that morning routine uh, purposeful and impactful? Never hit the snooze button, number one. There's a ton of science behind this. The snooze button is I'm, the I'm devil, I'm going to start taking bro. some notes right now, okay? <laughs> the snooze button is the devil, Scott. I'm telling no, I you. Don't, I don't, I don't. I, well, actually, that's not, I try not to. I'm like 90% good. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, the snooze button's a liar. It sells you 10 extra minutes of sleep, but you're actually going to go into another sleep cycle. If you learn anything about circadian rhythms, you'll actually go into another sleep cycle. And this is why so many people have to have coffee and energy drinks first thing in the morning because they're snoozing and then they're waking up while their body is going through a whole other sleep cycle. So even though you're walking awake, your body's going to go through that rhythm no matter what. There's nothing you can do about it. And so the snooze sells you 10 more minutes, tells you you're going to be more rested, but actually makes you more tired for the next 90, 90, minutes, 90 minutes to two and a half hours. Crazy, right? So snooze is the devil. No snooze. Number two, no phone first thing in the morning. Do not touch your phone. The, we have gotten so connected and addicted to these things. There's nothing in there, man, that's going to be positive first thing in the morning. I promise you're going to get some piece of bad news. You're going to have an email you need to follow up with. You're going to get a notification. There's going to be violence. There's going to be division. There's going to be politics. There's going to be death. There's going to be all of these things, right? And and, and first thing in the morning, your brain is just consuming. It's It's gone into consume mode. That first hour is so incredibly powerful. Your brain's going, where am I? Am I awake? Am I safe? Like it's totally alert and it's consuming. And if you grab your phone first thing, you're just shifting your frequency to allow outside influences to determine your path. And that's not an, a, a recipe for success. It's just not, right? We want to be able to set ourselves foundationally, set our roots. So no phone first thing in the morning. So basically at this point, we've lost 80% of your audience, just so you know, Scott. They're like, no smooth, <laughs> no phone. I hate this guy. I'm out. No, right? you know what though? I'll challenge. I'll say like, just, just try it. You know, cause now I'm just thinking about, let me just do a week of, I'm, I'm good with the snooze. I, I usually try and get myself up because I can't stand it. I had no idea about the science, but it makes sense now because I feel like crap uh, whenever I do snooze. Um, okay. But the phone in the morning is an issue, um, but I want to try that. I, I definitely want to try that. I've heard that from a few people actually. So that's something that I want to action. But yeah, sorry. I, I would say if you're not doing it, you should be doing it or you should at least try it and see. And, and again, like monitor and be self-aware enough to know your mood, your energy how you tackle the day, your productivity between nine to 12. Like, let's just, let's just, as opposed to just shunning it and saying, no, let's, let's, let's run an experiment on ourselves. 
I think that's a really smart idea. And that's the way you're going to sell yourself on it. If you can try for a week and you notice some tangible results and you get more done, and by lunch now all of a sudden you have no more work for the afternoon because you actually kicked off the day right, you had energy, you were positive, and you just tackled everything and it felt effortless, you're going to keep that habit up. So I say prove it to yourself. Amen, Scott. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. So that's number two, no phone. Number three is gratitude and goals. Write down the things that you're thankful for and write down your goals for the day. Now, I know that sounds like two, right? Gratitude and goals sounds like two Mm -hmm. steps. But the reason I make that one is everyone on this planet, I'm guessing that's over the age of probably 12, has been told that they need to write down their goals. And yet 80% of people don't write down their goals. And here's my theory why that is, Scott. I think that all of them have, have tried. I think that everyone hears they're supposed to write their goals and they at least try. But writing down your goals by themselves can actually create a negative frequency. I wish I had more money. I wish I had a bigger house. I wish I was better looking, right? It can actually create a feeling of less than for who you are right now. Whereas if we start with a space of gratitude, I'm grateful I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful my bills are paid. I'm grateful I woke up today. And then we stretch for a bigger house and for some more money or for whatever it is that moves you. Now it's a positive frequency going into our goals, which to me is like it's jet fuel for those goals versus a negative frequency being put in. So I put them into one step. Gratitude and goals together, I think, is really the key. Number four is you got to take care of the physical. And I don't care if you walk, crawl, run, play golf, play tennis, like whatever. Get the body moving. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. So just get rocking and rolling. And then step five is really the key. Step five is what puts it all together. Uh, Step five is you've now didn't snooze. You won't touch your phone. You're ignoring the rest of the world. Congratulations. You wrote down the things you're thankful for and your goals. You've been very selfish when you did that, Scott. Great, which is good. You took care of yourself physically. I'm proud of you. Now what I need you to do is take this positive frequency. You should be vibrating at this point on an incredible, incredible energy level. I need you to release this out into the universe. So number five is send out an encouraging message. Lift someone up. I don't care if it's a text message, a Facebook message, a, a sticky note that you put on the mirror for your spouse. Go whisper into one of your kids' ears, but release the positive energy out into the world. And what's crazy is energy cannot dissipate, nor can it be created. It can only be converted. So when you release that positive energy out, it has no choice but ultimately come back to you in some converted form. Um, Maybe later that day, that week, that month, that year, we never know. Um, But ultimately, by releasing all that positive, you're not only making an impact in other people's lives, but it makes an impact in yours as well. So those would be the five steps, five simple steps. You do those every day and change your day, man. Amazing. Very good. I, I appreciate you breaking that down. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, you bet. And and you, you've you've worked with a lot of people. What do you what do you, I, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I want to do some rapid fire stuff. But when you when you, you know, get people involved in this, I feel like day one, they have a hard time really buying in to sure. energy and gratitude journals and all that. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like the average Joe when it comes to this stuff. But what, walk me through maybe a use case or a case study or an example of somebody uh, who did stick with it. How did they stick with it? And then how, how did they achieve the results? How do you get somebody to buy in day one? Yeah, so a couple different things. Um, 
you know, there's as far as like testimonial side, we we now have tens of thousands of people that have been able to apply the morning, which is powerful in and of itself. But yeah, 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 and and, and get incredible results, which is which is amazing, right? We had to release a challenge because it sounds kind of simple on the onset, but it, it actually can be very difficult. We have neural pathways in our minds, which I'm sure you've probably heard of that. And we, we have to create and train our, our brains to do these new things. And sometimes we need some motivation behind that or incentives to be able to rock and roll. So something that we do is uh, I, did a, I, I read a study, Harvard and Stanford came together and they found that it takes 67 days, 67 consistent days before something becomes easier to do than to not do, all right? The neural pathway gets created, it becomes easier to do it than to not do it. And so we do a 67 day challenge. And we, as far as my company, anybody that does the 67 day challenge and completes the morning five every single day for 67 days and posts on their social media with the hashtag the morning five, we give them a bunch of free gear. I give them free car, uh, t-shirts and hats and uh, a duffel bag that they can put all their stuff in. Like we incentivize it 100% free. You don't have to pay. There's no, we don't pay for shipping. We take care of everything on that um, because we think it's just really important that, that people understand they have the ability to become the catalyst for all things good in their life. And it could be something as simple as your morning routine that is keeping you from breaking through to those levels. Now, do people fail all the time, Scott? They fail all the time. They'll do it for seven days and then fall off or the snooze button will get them yeah. or, um, you know, they'll go and grab their phone, right? And it's a golf type thing. It's an on your honor type thing. This is a battle between you and you. Simple, simple as that. Uh, but I can assure you, you'll feel right away, right away, you will feel results. Also, when you send out those encouraging messages, the messages you get back are insane, man. I can't tell you, like, you'll send one out and someone, you'll send out a sentence and someone will send you back a paragraph. And they're going to say, so, it's so weird to get something positive. It's, it's sad. It's sad. It it's weird to get something positive. And that's actually the, the biggest thing I just want. I'm, I'm happy that you're doing this because I wanted to just say, like, how do you get somebody to take the day one step? Because, you know, maybe people fall off at day seven or day 20 or day 30. But, you know, even if you fall off at day 30 and you're like a 20% better person because of it, right. good for you. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, good for you. Like, and if you do the whole, if you do the whole 67 and, you know, maybe, maybe you, maybe you do it six out of seven days and that's what you can, that's what you can maintain. Cause one day, you know, you just, you want to, you want to snooze and whatever. Like, it's just about, it's about like, you know, just moving in the right direction. It is. And, and, it is. Yeah. But you got to take the first step to the day, When you do it on that very first day and you send out that message, I promise yeah. you, you're going to get a message back that is going to blow your mind. The message back is going to say, I needed this so badly right now. Right? Yeah. And that's when you're going to go, oh, wait a minute. That feels kind of cool to yeah. be that for that person. Right? It's good to be a good person. That yeah. That's right. It really does. Yeah. Amazing, man. Amazing. Okay. Um, before we pivot into some rapid fire stuff to, to bring in some insights from your career, uh, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to go into? Oh, no, man. This is, this is, we, been, did, we did a really, really great. good one. I think, you know, we, we went to everything. I appreciate it. I didn't even know what we were going to go into when we first started this call, but I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. I'm really happy with this one. Um, uh, where do people, where do people connect with you? Uh, get your socials out, uh, your website, everywhere people should go and, and reach out. 
Yeah, really, um, the best thing to do, I, I would love it if you would go to themorning5.com and download that ebook. Like, that's how I can add value into your world. And and I, I'm the type of person I like to, to start relationships off by serving first. And so that would be the best way. And then, of course, you can always just search my name. And I'm everywhere, man. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and Clubhouse and uh, all of those places. But it's all just Glenn Lundy. For some reason, I have a name that uh, no one else in the world of Glenn Lundy has attempted to uh, make a name for themselves digitally. So uh, I kind of own that space, which is which is great. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Uh, Rapid fire. You can go as long or short as you'd like. Biggest challenge that you've had in your personal or professional life? You've gone into a couple challenges, but what was the one that stood out and and how did you overcome it? Um, The biggest challenge actually probably has been here in in the last three years. Uh, I spent 40 years or 30 years uh, working for someone else and allowing them to take on the responsibilities of making sure that I have a place to go to work. Uh, and now I have, you know, uh, many, many employees, not to mention thousands of people online that are counting on me to show up uh, every single day. And so being an entrepreneur is fun and sexy and all of those things. But it's also the most challenging thing um, that I've ever had to do, especially just having that weight of knowing that there are a lot of people that lose if I don't win. So I got to make yeah. sure to deliver. Very good. Um, one person that had an incredible impact on your life, who was it? What did they teach you? There's a hundred, man. And I, you gotta I, pick, you gotta pick one. I know there's a hundred. I know there's a thousand. <laughs> um, you know, really, and, and not like getting religious in any way, shape or form, but as I study successful humans, uh, the, the number one best-selling book of all time is this book called The Bible. It's 3.6 billion copies in distribution now. The second best-selling book would be the Harry Potter series at 700 million to give you an idea of the difference. And so that book, whether you're a religious person or not, uh, the, the, the story of Jesus, the, the impact that that has had on my life to know that this dude in sandals with no technology, uh, was able to walk miles facing, you know, deserts and death and all of these things just to get an audience of 30 people or 50 people or whatever. He, 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 the things that he went through to deliver a message of hope and the impact that that has had on this planet 2000 years later. It, now I'm sitting here going like, I don't even have to wear pants half the time I can do. I could reach people like you wouldn't even know if I'm wearing pants. I'm in my air conditioned studio. I can click a button and I can reach as many people as I want. And so uh, Jesus has just inspired me to the idea that one man can literally change the world if you if he's committed to doing so. And so I would say Jesus. And it also it also positions it makes you think like what you know what's my excuse for not doing more impacting more people? Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, uh, favorite source to learn or grow could be a podcast or a book. Um, not your own, not this one, but something else you uh, <laughs> consumed uh, lately that you'd recommend people go check out. Oh, favorite source to learn and grow. So you know, I'm I'm an Audible junkie. Uh, I've got new Audibles all the time. It's always the the self help stuff, right? That's what that's what I listen to. 
And so I would say as far as the favorite source, learn and grow, I love being in my car, commuting back and forth from the office or traveling um, and just plugging in audibles, uh, whatever, whatever's rocking and rolling and uh, using that, using that time to study and learn. Do you have a, do you have a title people could go check out? One in particular? Um, Jim Quick, uh, Jim Quick's book. Um, yeah. I'm listening to it right now. What's the title of Jim Quick's book? I don't uh, remember. Limitless. I, just, I, I know his book and you're so funny. I know him all over social, but you're, I don't remember the title of his book. Yeah, Limitless. His book Limitless, Limitless. Okay. is uh, incredibly powerful. It teaches you how to learn. Teaches you how to remember, which is funny because I just forgot the name of the dang book. Um, but it teaches, teaches, uh, he does a great job of helping you expand uh, what you're what you're already capable of. It's a pretty powerful book. Amazing. Um, oh, let me give you one you're... more. Three. Oh yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. Or, or, I'm sorry, not three feet from gold. Outwitting the devil. That's Outwitting a good one. I don't know the that devil. One. By uh, it was annotated by Sharon Lecter. It was actually written by Napoleon Hill. Back in the 50s, it was supposed to be part of the Think and Grow Rich book, but his wife wouldn't let him publish it because it was so controversial because he talks about the school system. He talks about politics, all of these things. He basically has a conversation with the devil and the devil breaks down exactly how he uses the empty space where you're just drifting, how he uses that space to ultimately keep you from your greatness. It's so incredible. And if you listen to it on Audible, they hired this actor to play the voice of the devil. You'll never forget it. But it's really an incredible, incredible read, Outwitting the Devil. That's a great, that's a great, I've never heard of that book in my life. I know Napoleon Hill. I've never yeah. heard about Outwitting the Devil. That's a great recommendation. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to Audible that. Maybe. Oh, dude, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, one. man. It really is. Yeah. Um, if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Thank you. I would tell him, thank you. Thank you for, um, you know, ultimately thank you for teaching me what not to do and who not to be uh, 20 year old me knew everything and 20 year old me made every mistake you could possibly think of. And so 43 year old me is like, <laughs> All right. I know I've got smooth sailing going forward. Thanks to uh, that jackass and all the mistakes he made. <laughs> uh, good. Very good. And then uh, last question. What does success mean to you? Ah, man. Um, success to me means that you are in a constant state of growth and never comfortable. To me, that's that that's success by definition. So I'm a firm believer that we're most comfortable in life right before death. Um, I watched my grandfather pass away and he was he battled cancer, was very sick and was in a lot of pain. And the moment before he passed away, he was incredibly comfortable. It, it was like it was crazy. And when I was in the ocean and tried to drown myself, there was a moment where I thought that this was the end and I was incredibly comfortable. And so I see it, Scott, I see people get comfortable in their relationships and they get divorced. They get comfortable in their careers and they get fired. These athletes get comfortable in their positions and somebody comes right up and takes it away from them. So I believe that we're most comfortable in life right before death. And so true success to me means that you're constantly putting yourself in a state where you're uncomfortable and that's where all the growth happens and there's so much fulfillment in growth, right? So that, that would be the definition of success to me.
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay 